0: Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amore, author and lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life via the psychological paradigm called the Three Principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you're struggling to resolve an overeating habit, I invite you to go to freedomfromovereating.com where you'll find all the details about the online course I've created based on my 30 plus years of struggle and how I found the solution to my own overeating habit by exploring this inside-out psychological paradigm. Use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. And now, here's the show. Del Addy Jones, welcome to Unbroken.
1: Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here.
0: Lovely to see you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you found the three principles.
1: Oh my goodness, (laughs) that's a lot in one go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me think. Um, Okay, well, um, yeah. Okay, so I grew up in Wales. Uh, I now live in California. And um, I had a very sort of unusual childhood in many ways, um, what we would classically call dysfunctional, which... um, I basically carried into my adulthood <laughs> all the way up until I think I was about almost 50, if I'm honest. And so I, and I, I, I very briefly, I grew up in Wales. Um, <clears throat> I was the product of, uh, of um, <clears throat> excuse me, a relationship between my mother and my father. He was a married man who lived down the road with his wife and two children, <laughs> and um, I was his mistress's daughter. And um, but I never met him, even though their their relationship lasted for about eight years. I never met my father and I would pass him in the street and that really, you know, his avoiding my looking my direction, never mind exchanging words with me was really soul destroying for me. I have to say, I really took that as I wasn't good enough to be loved. Um, I thought if I was just, you know, pretty enough clever enough, skinny enough, you know, anything a five-year-old normally thinks about, you know, (laughs) when they want their parents' love. Um, But I just blamed myself. I thought there must be something fundamentally wrong with me that he didn't, you know, I had this illusion that all fathers must love their daughters or children anyway, and that um, that it was my fault that he didn't love me. And also growing up in my household was was very hard as well. It was um, my mother having to make money for us, um converted a rambling old mansion into a home for residential home for people with mental disabilities and disorders. So that was also challenging. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. um, so I, I grew up with a lot of issues, let's put it that way. And I think in an attempt to escape the shame, I, I had debilitating shame, we were shamed in the community. Uh, My mother sent us to a Catholic school because she wanted to, you know, even though she was an atheist, she wanted us to have a good education. And between the nuns and the community and the shaming, I just wanted to get the hell out of England, or Mm. Wales rather, as fast as I could. So I came, I sort of via Spain, I spent about a year in Spain and Then I came to the U.S. when I was about 21, and I really felt like it was I could have a new beginning. You know, I could escape my shame. (laughs) But unfortunately, found a way to sneak in the suitcase with me and (laughs) followed me all the way here. But I spent years. um, That's when I first discovered spirituality. And I was on a spiritual path for many, many years and, um, you know, self-help. Workshops, the sh- first workshop I ever went to was called "Healing the Shame that Binds by John Bradshaw, and you know that was amazing, and I did a lot of the inner child work and tons of stuff and um it culminated in in well not really culminated i mean it's, on my spiritual journey i I also did a master's in spiritual psychology, which I loved because i I really love the combination of spirituality and and psychology that that is my sweet spot. But um, I still managed to get myself in dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship. And it was really the last dysfunctional relationship I got out of, which was my marriage. And that was in 2008 that I came across the principles. And they there was something in the simplicity of what Sid Banks said that, just hit at a deeper level, even though it's it was nothing new. I'd heard about it for years, as they say, saying, all my different sort of, you know, God everything, Kundalini yoga, Buddhism, Kabbalah. I mean everything I was just studying. I, I'd heard of it before. I knew the essence of what he was saying, but it just was sort of in my head and it wasn't really dropping in um as hard as I tried. I realized you can't try it that it's just it lands when it lands. And as I said, it was this principles that uh, literally knocked me on the head. I was in a bookstore and this book sliding out of the bookcase It was called Stop Thinking, Start Living by Richard um, Carston. And um, it was at a time when I was really probably one of the lowest points in my life, actually, besides when I was a teenager, Um with all the abuse that went on then but um it was the end of my marriage and I just you know if it wasn't for my two beautiful sons I was really probably at my lowest point and I think that's when the opening was there that sort of crack open and um I heard something and I I just delved into it and that was in 2009 and I mm. just um yeah, ever since then, just keep deepening and deepening my understanding. But as again, as I say, I don't throw all the other stuff out either. It all has served me. And um, I love seeing the commonality in different sort of traditions, rather than the differences.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh, nicely said. Yeah, I love that. And so In your practice, then leaping to sort of the present day and on your podcast, you tend to focus on relationships. So let's, let's dive in there and say, uh, yeah, let us know what, what, what draws you to that, to that focus.
1: I think sometimes, you know, when people say, um, I don't know what I want, I always say to them, well, what don't you, what don't you want? Let's start there. And when they start there, it's really easy. I say, well, then you just want the opposite. I mean you know you so we tend to really know what we don't want right and I think growing up in the in the environment in which I grew up it was so painful and um and I love my mother dearly she did the best she could I absolutely know that but she also made some really as a mother myself, I'm like, how could you? What were you thinking? But I realized that I've had the benefit of a lot of, you know, therapy and, and being on my spiritual path. So um I to see how I can do things differently. But it was knowing what I didn't want to continue, knowing what I didn't want to put my children through. Um, knowing and again, as I say, you know, even with all of this knowing what I wanted. I still was acting out from some habitual behavior that i didn't understand, and um I still was attracted to the narcissistic rejecting abandoning type man that my father had been
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um and my mother actually also was also a narcissist they they um that's that's how they came together they so i i i knew i would, i knew how to please a person like that, how to keep a person like that. And I and I think as I always say children want a a redo, you know, if they've had a bad experience the first time round, we we keep drawing in that same type of scenario to redo it, to have a different outcome. And I think, you know, there was that little girl in me that still kept totally, you know, not in my consciousness, but in my subconsciousness, attracted men like my father to have a different outcome I I was attracted to men that were as I say narcissistic and rejecting and cruel and punishing and I wanted to win them over Mm
0: -hmm. I wanted them
1: to notice me and to love me this time and um, fortunately as I say (laughs) took me a long time but I got to the point where I really realized that everything I was looking at validation from the outside in was all within me. And I was just looking in the wrong direction. Mm. And once I saw that I stopped doing what I was doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As yeah. someone who was familiar with narcissism as well, myself and being raised by people with that kind of personality disorder, I noticed too, that there's a familiarity in the feeling of rejection and without really knowing it, I think we can repeat that pattern simply because it's what we know. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I without a doubt, it's a there's a there's a familiarity to it. But I I really think above and beyond that, there's that need, as I say, to right the wrong, to to get what we didn't get as a child, mm-hmm. to win this one over this time. I mm-hmm. will, and to also. I think, you know, a lot of people think that only these sort of broken, wounded women get together with narcissistic men or broken, wounded men get together with narcissistic women. Women, it's it's not just men on women. It tends to be more men, unfortunately. But in this culture, we are actually seeing more and more women displaying narcissistic behaviors. Um, It used to be more men. But often, too, it's the um, striving to prove yourself. You know, if you've had a parent that that expected perfection or or expected you to um, never give up, so sometimes women who who just—I mean, I know for myself, I wanted to prove myself. Now, if you loved me, I had no time for you. It's like, well, you know, number one, you've got bad taste. If you love me, <laughs> it was like <laughs> right. it was like that scratch show marks thing. You know, if anybody want me in their club, I wouldn't want to belong to that club. <laughs> um, but the other thing was. To win over a, a somebody that was um, um, difficult or challenging or had tons of women, and and I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit it, might have to, but there was that thing in me that thought, well, God, if I can win over somebody like that, then I've re- really proved my worth mm. rather than just the average Joe. You know? mm. I've won over somebody that nobody else can win over. That must mean I'm special.
0: mm Wow, <laughs> and were you conscious of that thought or that know. belief?
1: Oh no, no. <laughs> <at all>. Okay,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why I can I can I can laugh when I look back on it. But no, absolutely not. I mean, it was just this this drive that I you know, that, and I think many women have it. I mean, they say, why are women attracted to the bad boy? It's the challenge. Mm. It's you know, it's it's the challenge, and it's oh, you only seek a challenge when you actually um don't really really appreciate your worth mm-hmm. when you're having to validate yourself by an outside challenge that's really sad you know mm-hmm. so I say it you know with compassion and love for myself I and mean, I'm it because you know I can look back on it now and go oh my god you poor thing but mm-hmm. but at the time now it was just a drive and I, I see now what I was doing I mean the types of people I was attracted to now I, I see them you know, from a mile off, and I'd be like, Oh, no, no, why on earth would I be attracted to that mm-hmm. on any level. So it's, it's almost repulsive to me. But when I was younger, it was attractive to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. Um, and so one of the things I'm really intrigued about in the exploration of the three principles is, is, of course, the idea that our experience is coming from the inside out. We live in the world of our thinking, not in the world of our circumstances. And there are people out there who can do us harm, you know, who can uh, behave in a way that is not healthy. So I'd love to explore with you that, (laughs) what would you call it, dividing line, that place of being where we take responsibility for the thinking that's going on within us and we have clear boundaries. So could you talk to us about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, well, this is a fascinating one for me. Um, I'd probably half my clients come through me through the three principles, world of the three principles, and the other half don't. And I actually find that the people that have an understanding of the principles are often more challenging to work with than with the people that don't and the reason i say that is because they keep going and it's it's ironic because they keep saying uh, they keep going into their intellect they they, i mean because sid said follow the feeling follow Mm -hmm. the feeling but they keep popping into their intellect and and trying to intellectualize their situation and say well it's just my thinking and you know i'm just making more of this than is really there and i see his psychological innocence and um and you know it's fine And and I just, to try and have somebody appreciate that we are both spiritual and human rolled into one. We're not separate. We are a spiritual being having a human experience. And there's a reason we came onto this earth to experience our humanity. And I am not into the spiritual bypass at all. And so what I always say is, know yourself really know yourself, mm. because I, you know, I, I used to, I, I can look at my behavior now, or rather my feelings, and I can separate out from my wisdom and my feelings, what's an old habitual pattern that I have from childhood that developed out of a need to protect myself. I, I can recognize that when that's happening. Separate from um I, like I know myself like I say, I understand what's going with, on within me, and I go, Oh, this is just some old stuff happening. this is not the other person, this is just me like creating a story because maybe I'm fearful or I'm feeling vulnerable right now, so i'm I'm seeing this person as a threat, and I, so I know it, I know it inside me, but there's times when I really do know oh, this person is, you know, as much as I can see their psychological innocence and they're all, you know, we're all connected and all that stuff. Their behavior in the world of form is not healthy and it's having a negative impact on me. And I can lovingly separate from them. I don't have to hate them. I don't have to judge them. I don't have to belittle them or beat them up. I can just remove myself and say, this is not a healthy environment to be in. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a very different, And and I always say to people, really trust your wisdom. Your wisdom will guide you. It'll let you know when you're, as I say, in that habitual pattern. And of, um, you know, because I can see in some of my previous relationships where I really did blame the other person for things that were going on in my head. (laughs) (laughs) And and I I apologise to you out there that I did that too. But you know, I I had a, you know, I have a. In the world of psychology we call it a a dysfunction i mean a disorganized attachment style so i can be a little push me pull me like i want to be close and then i panic and i pull away what's the easiest way to pull away is to find fault with the other person but what i'm doing is actually just giving myself some breathing space Hmm. so i know that about myself so instead of being hypercritical and finding a reason why i need to pull back i go you know, this is just who I am. And every now and again, I just need a bit of distance. And I can articulate that to my partner of the last 13 and a half years in a a wonderfully mature way, as opposed to, you did this and this is why I'm rejecting you right now. Mm -hmm. But if there were behaviors, thank goodness he doesn't. He's an incredible, beautiful human being. But if there were some behaviors that were unhealthy, um, I would be able to say, you know that's not a behavior that that works in in my relationship. Um, and address it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answered your question or not.
0: Yeah, it did, and it it's brought up a couple more follow up questions. So this is great. Um, one of the things you said was that you've learned to discern between old patterns of thinking and behavior and and wisdom, your internal wisdom. So could you, and it may not be easy to do this, could you tell us how you learned to do that?
1: Um, trusting, that's the other thing I want to talk about. When, when we grew up in a dysfunctional environment, I don't know about you, but for me, um, my wisdom would tell me something which I would then share with my mother. And she would say, don't be ridiculous. That's not true. Or as simple as, you know, um, why doesn't my father come and visit me? Well, your father loves you. Well, why doesn't he come and visit me? Why doesn't he come earlier when I'm awake or or why doesn't he look at me when I pass him in the street? Well, he loves you. He just can't be with you. And so I was getting mixed messages because my wisdom was telling me, that's not love,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not
1: love. But the more, and then, you know, if an adult behaved inappropriately with me, which they did, um, I would say to my mother, "This doesn't feel right. This has happened," and she'd say, "Don't be silly. He doesn't mean it that way. Um, you know, uh, let him touch you, whatever. You know, stroke you or whatever it was." And and so again, it's that so that shoving down of your wisdom, your intuition, that that voice inside that says, "This is not okay. This is you know." So you end up you can never get disconnected from it, but you end up not listening to it anymore. Because as a small child, who are you going to believe more than, you know, I'm going to believe my wisdom over my mother, who I depend on for my life. <laughs> You're going to believe their parent. So you you stop listening to your wisdom. And that is one of the hardest things I find with my clients is helping them to hear their wisdom again. Never went anywhere. Always there. But it was just being ignored. And we were listening to the thoughts in our head, which were often, you know, Sort of the repeating of what our parents said, you know, it's the dialogue. So we often sort of listen to that over our wisdom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like things like, you know, as a small child, you know, if we know something's icky, it's icky. Well, as an adult, if you've been abused as a child and you've learned to squish that down, sometimes that again, your head will come in and say, oh, that's not abusive behavior. That's fine. And we're disassociating. We're just like this sort of, you know, head making decisions for us. And we're not connected to our body. We're not connected to our wisdom, not connected to our feelings that are telling us this is not right. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's one thing is to really start to. And again, as I said, if we're listening to the thinking in our head, the personal thinking, it's often overrides or tries to override what our intuition is telling us now if we can recognize hang on a minute you know that's my mother's voice in my head or my whoever's voice in my head that's that's not the truth that wasn't the truth I felt what did I feel when that happened and learn to differentiate between that chatter that noise in the head that's always trying to rationalize and make sense of things and make things you know all right. You know, we often like our head wants to keep things as they are. We don't rock the boat. So we, we, we minimize and rationalize things. Whereas our wisdom is guiding us to say, you know, this isn't right. Trust us, be brave, walk away. Life will be better.
0: Mm -hmm. And you bring up such an important point that that wisdom is all has always been there. It will always be there. It'll never leave us. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's so important to remember. And for me, that looked like a bit of slowing down. So a bit of, I have experienced a lot of urgency, anxiety in the form of urgency. And so that would make me hear the, you know, the chatter in my head and then just kind of obey it automatically. And so for me, one of the elements of learning to trust wisdom was slowing down a little bit and just saying, wait a second, I can take a minute and feel things and you know see where i'm at yeah so I yeah
1: totally agree. absolutely there is no urgency wisdom is is not in a hurry you know right right <laughs> it's not on the clock yeah <laughs> get me off I'm leaving you know Act on what i've said now or you know, i'm never going to help you again it doesn't yes. do that right yeah yeah take the time and 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 you know i mean i i have a i don't necessarily practice meditation as much as i used to but it is taking that time that dropping in that really the the, you know letting letting things get quiet letting that and sometimes it's sometimes it's really loud sometimes it's you know as i shared um recently on this talk i just gave um you know my wisdom to get out of my marriage was you know it was on valentine's day last thing i thought i wanted to do was (laughs) get a divorce on valentine's day i mean my heart was broken i discovered some really painful truths about my marriage but i was sitting meditating and i this voice inside me just said get out now before he kills you and i was like where did that voice come from i was like because my head was you know codependent i was looking at all the reasons why i should stay how i didn't want to give you know break up my my family unit that i felt that I had given my children what I hadn't had as a child I didn't want to you know repeat my childhood and have a broken home but you know it was not a healthy relationship and I needed to get out and And, um... it wasn't physically abusive I will definitely say that but the emotional abuse you know is I think can be equally damaging I work with people who have sworn off ever being in a relationship again after being in a narcissistic relationship, and that to me is such a such a shame i mean we're we're meant we are these beautiful loving creatures that are meant to love and have open hearts and and you know be with other humans and to be that um shaken to the core that you would never take that risk again. Um, is, is is sad to me. I mean, mm-hmm. fortunately the people I work with, I think we, I give them enough um they're armed with enough information that they're not afraid to do that again.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: won't they know they will not make that same mistake again. They'll mm-hmm. know how to their wisdom, they'll know how to recognize those red flags and they won't go into that overdrive of the personal mind rationalizing and minimizing because they want what they want, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, um, one of the things that occurred to me when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about was that when we're raised in dysfunctional households, like you and I both were, we, I notice a sense in myself of taking a lot of responsibility for stuff that isn't mine. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit with you and see what you had to say about, um, relationship, that aspect of relationships.
1: Yeah. Um, I know, I know, yeah, I would totally recognize that one. Mm. (laughs) Sometimes it's, you know, again, it's like training. It's like, if I just say sorry, it will, all, everything will calm down and be nice. So I'll just say sorry to make everything nice again. Sometimes it's that people pleaser coming out of us. And sometimes it really is that, unhealthy boundaries that you know we if we grew up in a dysfunctional environment m- healthy boundaries were not modeled for us <laughs> and there's all that enmeshment and you made me do it and and all of that stuff that goes on and and I think you know once we again one of the things I learned about the principles was that that separate realities and I always use my little my my snow globe <laughs> mm. but just saying that we are all you know it's my little buddha that's my center my spiritual center but just know that we all live in these little globes of of our thinking and you know there isn't that as you mentioned earlier there's not that reality out there that we're all looking at you know our all our perceptions of reality are different depending upon our thinking um and so i think when when somebody is say they're upset and angry and hostile or whatever I used to go you know because I couldn't deal with their upset so I would try and calm them down and control it and everything and the only reason I was doing that it looked like I was doing it for their sake and I wasn't I was doing it for my own sake because <laughs> I was uncomfortable yeah. with that aggression that whatever it was and instead of having you know, the sense to remove myself and say, hey, I don't have to put up with this. I thought I could control it and behave in a certain way to manipulate it. And recognizing that, you know, we're not (laughs) God. And they're going through their experience, because that's what they need to go through for whatever reason. And we can just stand back. And again, if it's not an abusive relationship, it's simply that somebody's out of sorts. The more that we can stay. centered and grounded and let them have their experience not react to it not control it the quicker they calm down and they're back to their beautiful loving normal self but um but when we are in a dysfunctional relationship again instead of just standing here and, and being contained and saying Oof, this is too much for me i'm removing myself we you know, we we again, as I say, try and control it, and neither way is is that's not healthy. We have to respect that that person has everything inside of themselves to bring themselves back down to that that sort of well being that's within all of us. And if they don't, then again, remove yourself. Don't we don't need to fix anybody? You know, our job is to be the best. Guardian of our own lives. I mean, that's very, you know. I I always say too when we give our give our heart to another person and make them responsible for our heart, and then we're like, "What do you mean? You shouldn't have that hurt me. You shouldn't have done that." We're setting other people up. We are the best guardians of our lives and our hearts. Doesn't mean that we don't share our hearts openly and. And willingly with another person, but we don't make the other person responsible for us, and vice versa, we're not responsible for the other person. I know that sounds hard. <laughs> it does not meant <laughs> to, but it's just. I mean, we obviously. I'm a mother. I mean, I care dearly for my children. I mean, if I'm really honest, they always come first. <laughs> but but I have to remind myself, you know, I am. You know, it's I'm responsible for me. Nobody will take care of take as good care of me as I know I know my needs and my wants it's not up to somebody else to guess what I want need and then be wrong or bad for it if they don't get it right you know so we have to sort of take care of ourselves communicate clearly and honestly and and um as you said just take care of our side of the street and and water finds its own (laughs) level and the healthier that you are the, the more that you will attract healthy partners. I always say that, you know, with if you're attracting a narcissist into your life, it's because you lack, you know, because narcissists have all that entitlement and self and everything. And then when we're codependent, we're all the way down here and we've got no sense of self and no entitlement. So we're obviously the absolute perfect fit for them because they want everything their way. Mm. Now, if we raise our level of entitlement and are healthy, the narcissist is going to go, hang on a minute, I can sort of have a fight with this person or I could bypass them and go for somebody that's got low self-esteem will always put me first and I can manipulate and control. Yeah. So the best way is to just raise your healthy level of, I call it entitlement, you know, entitled to be treated with dignity and respect. Um, so just raise that and then you will get a partner that will match you on that level.
0: Mm oh lovely oh that's really nice um one of the things we we mentioned briefly was your podcast and it's called relationship mastery correct yeah yes, yes. and so tell us a little bit about that about your ho- co-host and uh what you talk about on that show
1: okay great yeah my co-host is Barry Selby and he is a dating coach primarily relationship dating coach and I first wanted to do. I did. I did all my insightful conversations and interviewed fabulous three P people, such as yourself <laughs> and all the other amazing three P people. And I sort of started to find that I was running out of people to interview. And I, it had it run its course. It was. I think I'd got about 120 episodes, and you know, it was it was great, and I really loved it. Um, but I wanted to focus more on what I do, which is. Uh, work with people um, around relationships, um, especially overcoming dysfunctional childhood, trauma, uh, codependency and narcissistic abuse and shame. Those are my that's my category in and I wanted to focus more on that. I also (laughs) really honestly (laughs) didn't want to have to go through all the gathering guests again and organizing that and I felt that it's more interesting to have two different perspectives about about things. And Barry and I both went to the University of Santa Monica, we both got our Master's in Spiritual Psychology. But he is a single man, never been married, doesn't have children, and um, isn't in a relationship right now. So we were really different. And I thought this could be interesting, because this is, we're going to have, we both happen to be British, that's the only common (laughs) reality we have and USM. Um, But we bring two different perspectives I mean he's he there's moments on the show where I, I can just feel myself going no Barry I do not agree with you <laughs> he can sometimes talk about the male role and the feminine and I'm very much into that we both have feminine masculine within us and you know there's depending on who I'm interacting with and I can be incredibly feminine and I can also be incredibly masculine I can see both in me very very clearly um so but yeah it's a great show we we cover all different topics um everything anything to do with any type of relationship um not just not just i mean parenting um how to deal with your co-workers your boss boundaries i mean apologies taking responsibility And, and life in general i really like to come from the spiritual perspective and share my spiritual understanding as it is which, as I say, is is an amalgamation of many different disciplines that I've studied over the years. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! And it's that show is available on all the usual podcast yeah. apps, yeah. and people can find it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. 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 Apple. Okay. Apple, everything, all the platforms, and it's also we have a, a YouTube, a private Facebook group as well uh, oh, by nice. the same name that people can join and see all the episodes on there. So yeah, and YouTube as well because it is it's either visual or I I I like to watch rather than just listen personally. Yes, I know a lot of people like to sort of do their podcasts in the car or on their walks, but I actually like to watch YouTube and see see the interaction between people.
0: Yes. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah. This show goes out on YouTube as well. And I'm always surprised how many views it gets, but that's clearly a preference for some people. Yeah. 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 So as we're getting close to the end of our time together, is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to share today?
1: Hmm. Well, I I think we touched on it, but, but I, but I would like to go back over it because I think it's so important. And again, as I said, i I firmly believe that um, there is no real healing unless we look at both our spiritual spiritual essence and our humanity. I think they dovetail beautifully together. I think that, um, as I said, um, you know we've got plenty of time to be spiritual once one hundred percent spiritual once we're dead. (laughs) But while on this earth, we we are you know we're human and we have we have um very predictable ways of behaving our psychology is quite predictable and i find it fascinating and i think that when we you know some people say oh i you know i don't want to go and look at my childhood but to me it's like it's like it's like being a surgeon sometimes we just have to see where the where the old habitual thinking or the dysfunction is so we can pluck it out <laughs> and start to heal and the healing is when we don't just identify with our humanity when we see who we are as these incredible spiritual beings that are infinite potential we're not these stories that our psychology has told us about ourselves that we really have the power to to be anything that we set our minds to but i do think it's very important to understand where the thinking originated because it's easier then to say oh I am to you. I know where as a small child, I thought you were going to help me. And you did maybe help me back then. But you're not serving me any longer. But thank you. Thank you for popping up again and thinking that you're doing a good job. <laughs> but now I'm an adult. And I don't need to just protect myself with this way of thinking or behaving. Serve me back then, but not no longer. And, and we can let it go with like a sense of humor and and with an ease and and we get it I I mean I still I catch myself throughout the day slipping into that old sort of thinking that doesn't serve me and I just but I hear it and I go you're back again it's like god you know old familiar friend you just keep showing up but it's the getting it and the seeing it I'm never frustrated I never think why are you still here you should have gone by now I have none of that thinking I'm just like oh, I just recognize you sooner. I got you. <laughs> and, then I, and then I get back to being who I really am, at my essence, which is, as I say, anything I really want to put my mind to.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, That's
1: probably the most important thing. And again, it's just one without the other. I think psychology without spirituality can only take you so far. It only took me so far. And I loved you know, my time in therapy helped me make sense of my chaotic childhood and some of the patterns I was in, etc. And my studying of psychology, but without that spiritual component to know that we are these so much more than just our psychology, I just don't think we can really heal. Mm. So for me, it's both. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, lovely. So, where can we find out more about you and your work, Dell?
1: You can find me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you, can find me, you can find me on that podcast a uh, relationship mastery you can find me at com, which is my website and you can find me uh on youtube um i'm starting to do a lot more speaking engagements so um yeah everything is on the website if you go to the website it directs you to me and um everything that i do some old blogs of mine and um and the old shows, the old, anybody still interested in really listening to some of the most incredible teachers we have in the three principles from, you know, Dick and Bettinger, L. C. the Pranskys, just amazing people. I've interviewed them all. So the, all, the, all the old episodes of um, Insightful Conversations are available on my website too.
0: Or on oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. And so I'll put links in the show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com and so people can find that.
1: Okay, great. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Well thank you again so much for being with me here today I really appreciate it.
1: Oh it's been such a pleasure and it's great to be on the other, the other side cuz uh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's right so anybody listening that wants to listen to my amazing interview with um with Alexandra then please go and listen to it it was fascinating I think we uh we um definitely had some interesting commonalities between us in 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 our in our life so
0: for sure, yeah, and I think we mostly talked about my memoir, my cult memoir, on that we show, did. yeah. But
1: we, but we, as we were talking, I remember saying, "Oh my goodness, this being in a cult is like being in a relationship with a narcissist." Yes, well, most most cult leaders are narcissists, if not psychopaths. So, right. but it has very similar, you know, it's that over time, nobody puts a hand up and says, Hey, I want to be in an abusive relationship, or I want to be in a cult. It's that over time, that seduction and and pulling you in gradually the love bombing, the love bombing. So yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, such a good point. All right. Well, thanks so much, Del. Take care.
1: All right. You too. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, go to freedomfromovereating.com. Use the coupon code podcast at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. See you next time.